cult classic action movies, shows, and the artists who helped make them. This is Action Gems. And welcome to another episode of Action Gems, where we find them and you watch them. Matt and I are really excited to bring you this interview, because this is with none other than veteran actor Ronnie Cox, who played the villain Dick Jones in one of our favorite movies of all time, Robocop. Ronnie was amazingly generous with taking time to talk with us about his experiences making that film, delving into the character, working with the director Paul Verhoeven, and even later on he talked about his experiences working on the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Total Recall. Listening to Ronnie's stories about how he came up working in theater and, and working his way through the industry, it was just a treasure trove of knowledge. We also just talk about a lot of other random things as the show goes. So without further ado, here's Ronnie Cox. I'm from New Mexico, but I, but I graduated in college, and once I graduated from college, I've never, I've never lived there since. I go back occasionally, I still have relatives there. Uh, my sister lives in Clovis, and I have a brother in El Paso, but, uh, but I don't, uh, I, I, and I went back just oddly enough this last year I was inducted into the New Mexico Music Hall of Fame so I was back there doing some concerts and stuff oh wow yeah but uh, with me uh, is uh, Matt Kohler as well hey how's it going hi Matt hi Matt how you doing I'm doing good Uh, just also got off the Atlanta road which uh, yeah Interstate here is terrible. Yeah, I. Uh, it, my bass player lives in in, in Athens. So. Oh, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you are aware, being in LA. Um, there's just no trains. There's no like metro. You know, metro patrol to like you know go go from place to place like i love the chicago yeah, area same, because same of with la same with la you know they took the the, 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 the red cars out here it, because because they want to turn this into a, a car city and oddly enough they dumped all of the cars in the ocean so that nobody could ever get them again what <laughs> exactly you can look that up they actually took all of the all of the trolley cars and things that were that were in LA and they wanted to make damn sure that nobody ever so they they dumped them in the ocean when did this happen oh hell probably in the uh, late 30s early 40s oh wow jeez it, it was when they, the LA had made the decision to turn themselves into a you know, freeway city. Which probably wasn't the best idea looking at traffic. <laughs> well, well, and yeah, but, you know, who, and, and, and certainly, I mean, I mean, people talk about the smog now, but, but believe me, the smog is nothing like it was. When I moved here in the early 70s, you, you can't believe the smog that was here. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard a lot of things like that, and like New York City's a lot cleaner than it, than it was. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but, but but see, New York City doesn't have, they don't have the inversion layer that we have. And, 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 and uh, so, so smog, which is, they, they used to have, uh, they used to have smog warnings here. You, you were little kids, you weren't allowed to go outside and, and people would bring, now I'm lucky, I'm, I'm a former marathoner. And, and I'm one of those people that even when it was a bad small day, I was sort of almost impervious to it. Mary used to say, oh, God, it's a bad small day, and I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but but people who are, who are susceptible to that, and, and now they talk about smog. The smog is, is zero complete these days compared to what it was in those days. And see, that's another thing that people, people c- complain about the... Santa Ana winds mm-hmm. out here, but the, the 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 hidden asset of the because that's the winds off the desert that yeah. that blows the smog into the ocean, and so uh, when the Santa Ana winds come in, we, we have clean air for a while. Oh, huh. wow! Huh. Well, I guess that's a that's a much looked forward to time of year then. <laughs> I mean that, that. I mean, I, I. There's. I mean, there's a lot right there that I did not know about. I mean, I knew the smog was bad, but I didn't know no, it's cleaned up. Yeah, I, I've never been to L.A. I, I've never been to to any of California. Well, it, 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 you know, I, I grew up in New Mexico, as I said, but but it's uh, with without. <laughs> I hate to tell you guys this, but without L.A. and San Francisco, California is Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I, I mean, I, I mean, we've got two really liberal uh, cities here, mm-hmm. but but uh, you know, I don't know what you guys' politics are, but mine are pretty left wing, and mm-hmm. and. and Everybody thinks that, that California is this uh, radically left-leaning uh, state, and it's not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, San Francisco and L.A. are. That's it. Yeah, I... Um, that's that's kind of... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I am left, uh, left, uh, left-leaning, and uh, I noticed that a lot with this election. Uh, well, the- cities. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, and... and, and you look at it they, they did a study of, of if you take the people where the where all the money is made 70 percent of the money are, are, are made in in democratic districts 70 mm-hmm. percent and all those see that's the reason i hate to say it but that's the reason i hate the the electoral college we we allow open spaces to have uh more votes than I mean, there, L.A. L.A. County has has more population than than like twenty five or thirty states, and 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 but they have they have like a gazillion more representatives than we've got. Of course. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, uh, uh, everyone's allowed is the same amount of electoral college, or is just like. It's based off of population, right? 
the population, uh, but 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 uh, like a House of Representatives, uh, a, a, a district gets the same. Uh, see, I, I mean, every state gets two senators. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, we're a population of a gazillion million here in, in, in California. We get two senators. <laughs> My home state of New Mexico, when I was there, there was less than a million people in the entire state. They have two uh, senators. Yeah. You can go figure that out. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't understand it either. I mean, obviously, uh, I guess... When this started, you needed to have a voice for every state. Well, it it was always a, a way of <laughs> it was always a, a way of giving little uneducated men a step a step up. Why do you think slaves were only three fifths of a vote <laughs> or three fifths of a person? And and, and I mean it's we it's always been. And and originally, you know, they they didn't want one man. What they wanted, they thought only the the, the elite guys should pick the leaders of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, don't get me into politics. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I, I, so anyway, what do you guys want to talk about today? Well, uh, really, we just really wanted to start uh, off with the beginning of what got you uh, into into film. Uh, beginning with Deliverance, or leading up to Deliverance, and uh, really leading up to RoboCop, and even after RoboCop? Well, you know, Mary and I graduated from college in 63. And Mary had a... Mary had a a post... uh, had a a National Science Foundation fellowship. Uh, Mary Mary was a brilliant woman, in case you didn't know. She... She, so she, she went to uh, on a National Science Foundation fellowship. Went to Georgetown University there to work on her PhD, mm-hmm. and I started work at Arena Stage, uh, mm-hmm. which was uh, as a production intern, which is a glorified word for indentured servant. <laughs> and I, I was there for six years, while while Mary was getting her PhD. And by the way, by this time we have two kids. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Our, Mary's, our first son was born when Mary was like three days before she was 20 and still, still had two. And then her second son, our second son was born when she was in grad school. Wow. And so, so we lived that whole struggling actor, uh, graduate student, existence for six years and then mary got her phd and we went to new york uh, i was i was i was offered a, a, a small role in a, in a, in a broad we had done a, a production of indians at arena stage and they were taking it to broadway so and i only had just a tiny role and i was i was offered a role in that but mary had just finished her phd so she got a postdoctoral fellowship with uh, Sloan Kettering in New York, which I don't know if you guys know them or not, but mm-hmm. they're probably no. the most prestigious cancer research organization in the world. Oh wow! And and yeah. so she was. She had a four-year postdoc with him, and so while she was doing the four years of postdoc, 
uh, I, I did that, that Broadway show close right away, but I did a workshop show for Joe Papp, which ended up with Marty Sheen and, and Charlie Durning and a couple of other people. Oh, wow. And, and, and I, I got, I got noticed, uh, in that, in that off-Broadway showcase, uh, show. And, uh, long story short, when they came to, when the movie people came to, to John Borman came to, to New York looking for good unknown actors. They wanted unknown actors. They came and they, they went by Joe Papp's place and, and asked if there was anyone that he would recommend. And he recommended they see me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, uh, I, I, first of all, I was the first guy they saw. Not because I was at the top of their list, mind you. Uh, they were going to start seeing people at, at like, 10 o'clock in the morning. They asked me to come in at 9 uh, just to see if I was uh, worthy of being seen. Yeah. And and they gave me a copy of the script and I went away and came. Anyway, long story short, I met with John Borman a couple of, a couple of three times during that week. They kept calling me that. And eventually they flew oh, 12 or 15 of us out here to California and tested us uh, for those four roles uh, for the for the four canoeists, and uh, out of out of that fifteen or sixteen guys that they tested, I was the only one that they liked. And and then a, a, a couple of weeks later, they found Ned Beatty at Arena Stage in Washington D.C. and. Uh, and it's, this is probably the first time in the history of a of, of, of film, actually, that, that they found the two guys below the title before they found the two guys above the title. Because Ned and I spent the next four or five weeks sitting around waiting for them to decide, and they eventually decided on, on Bird and John for those other two roles. Uh, and so... And so that was my first time in front of a movie camera, and and uh, I, I mean, and I had been a literally, you couldn't have known a more unknown or, or unsung actor than me, and then all of a sudden, doors were opened to me that 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 I didn't even know existed before that, and and so then it. It really was, you know, just changing my life in the, in the most profound. Because when I did deliver, Mary and I by that time had been married eleven years, mm-hmm. and had two small boys, and I had never made more than six thousand dollars in one year in my life. <laughs> and quite so, a so, so it, it was truly sort of life changing. Jeez. That sound that sound like a real blessing though, because yeah, you guys had really been paying your dues up to that point, and then that. Well, you got you got to know we were we didn't feel deprived. We were completely happy and doing exactly what we wanted to do. It's just that yeah. it didn't entail having any money. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, That's... and but but I mean, but there was never. I mean, I was lucky in that respect. Both Mary and I were lucky in that neither one of us, and especially Mary, we never had that uh, 
that gene where you need security. Uh, because there are a whole lot of people that 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 that, that having security. Uh, I mean, Mary and I, when we picked up and moved to Washington D.C., we had a car that would start once a day, and we were in the and we got as far as D.C. and the car within six blocks of where we were going, and the car stopped, never to start again. Uh, oh I mean, God. we were like the Jodes in Grapes of Wrath, <laughs> and. and and we lived that kind of life, happy as we could be, but on the other hand, just from hand to mouth. Yeah. Of course. That, um, my mom, uh, she told me when she was younger, she had a car that, like, the oil was messed up in her or something to where she would have to get an oil change almost every, like, every day. So she always had oil in her car and changed it. Like after she got done driving, so she could do it, so she could drive it more. Exactly, that's like my car. My car, it would start once a day, <laughs> and so so if I had to stop to get gas, I had to leave the car running because otherwise it wouldn't start again. <laughs> oh, good you talk about how dangerous that is—that you're you're filling up a car that's been driving all day with, with, with the car still running. <laughs> yeah, mean, that's that's. <laughs> when I was uh, 16, the first car I'd gotten was a was a Camaro. It was a 2000 Camaro, and I thought it I thought it was great because you know it looked cool. And then, of course, the inside was not so cool because I think the first two weeks I had it, I literally got out of school and I was like, I'm gonna drive my cool car and it's gonna run great, and it just doesn't start at all. And I was like, oh. That's great. It was sold to me with a dead battery, pretty much. And then, like, six months later, I'm driving it, and I'm hearing rocks... It sounds like rocks are turning over in the engine. And I'm like, what's going on here? Can't be anything too serious. And then it just... The car just starts locking up on the road. <laughs> in the middle of traffic. And luckily someone got out and helped me push it off the road, but... Um, yeah, it, it definitely, yeah. definitely. We, we've all been there. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. So, um, I do have a question. Was it hard for you to transition from theater to on-screen acting? Uh, not really. Uh, I, I, I'm first of all, uh, I'm one of the few actors. I mean, my my all my first my first ten years as an actor were all stage work. Yeah. And, and I did a, I, six years at Arena Stage, which is acting in the round, which is even more uh, of a problem. I, um, as as doing theater for like, I, I practice a lot of like combat theater, like sword fighting, uh, like rapier and dagger, broadsword. And so yeah. uh, I do not envy you because I don't think I could ever do the 360 degree around uh, well, audience. But here's the thing about it. I, I mean, the, I'm one of the few actors that you're probably ever going to talk to that will admit to the fact that it's much harder being a film actor than it is a stage actor. You can get away with all kinds of tricks on a stage because, first of all, the audience is sometimes 16 18 20 rows back and they can't see what and so i've seen people I, i've been around long enough but when that camera 
comes in close and 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 shows what's going on inside your eyes there better be something going on and and so the hardest acting in the world is is acting for film and the people that tell you that uh, that that acting on stage is much harder they're full of shit (laughs) because it's much harder being a film actor that that makes sense you can't get away with tricks when when that camera comes in they're better you better be home there yeah, I mean, because you're pretty much, everyone's now on, like in the first row instead of like you said, twenty, thirty. Not only in the first row, but 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 and and not only that, you can't get away with with on stage. You get away with big, huge gestures that that are, that are unrealistic. That you, because you have to make a a, a movement to, to get everybody's eyes to look at you. Mm-hmm. And and of course. and the, the hardest thing about film, the the, the hardest thing about real acting is doing less, much less, less. And look at every one of your, your when you just see a, a person that's there and, and you don't have all the histrionics going on with it. And, and there's nothing I hate worse than I'm making quotation marks now acting. Because <laughs> when someone's up there acting, then it, I just, well, and you get some popcorn or something because uh, and and they're really good, and I mean the really great actors are the ones that that you just they're there all the time and they've done the homework and they're not impressing you with it. You're just seeing the character. Were there certain actors that you were looking at during during your early years of just for well, inspiration or? Yeah, there there are a lot of really, and I'll tell you one of the great actors. Sean Penn is one of the great actors around, but Robert Duvall uh, uh, is a fantastic actor. Gene Hackman, Spencer, you know those those kind of guys who who just are there. I mean, you are right because a lot of the actors that I've gravitated towards, uh, you know, just watching. Are not the character actors like one? I think one, like I look at comedy. The ones that try really hard, you know, make the funny faces, or well, and, and, and that's the worst. That's the worst that you take, especially guys that play dumb guys, because because they're sitting there and they're commenting on the character. Now, if you want to see someone that you really knows how to play a character. Look at Billy Bob Thornton in Sling Blade. Oh, yeah. Now, and, and he's not commenting on the character. He's being that guy. And because dumb guys, they don't think they're dumb. They don't think they're stupid. Yeah. They think they're the smartest people in the world. Uh, that is definitely true with comedy. Because, like, you know, my favorite comedians, you know, I, I'm really, you know, I really like Steve Martin and, like, John Candy, who just, they just seem like people, you know, in, in, in the movies I've watched them in, or, you know, like, even like Monty Python as well, like, I'm a huge fan of them. I, I know every Monty Python by heart. Oh, I'll tell you, the funniest man alive was Richard Pryor. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know oh, if you know I, Richard I, I, I know who Richard Pryor is because he was actually born in a town 45 minutes away from me. Well, he and I became really good friends right after he 
burned himself up. I did I did the first film with him after he burned himself up. I, there was a film called Some Kind of Hero mm-hmm. that I that I did with Richard, and and he and I became really close, tight friends. And and uh, uh, yeah, the, the guys that they're the guys that know how to be funny. Yep. And, and and here's the thing. Less is always more. And, and when they have to make sure that you got the joke, then, then then I'm way ahead of them already. That's one. That's one thing that bugs me a lot about modern comedy is like it's they think that by explaining the punchline, that exactly. in and of itself is the joke. Exactly. I, I, I mean, if, if, if they don't give you credit for being able to get the joke. No. And so they said, yeah, so you're not smart enough to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to underline this. So you, so you get it. Yeah. And, and it's, and, it's so it, insulting. Yeah, it, it, it totally is. And, uh, that's, and honestly, that's one thing that we did like about RoboCop was that, I mean, yeah, like, you, you know, if, if you go on, on the internet or whatever, and you see the genre it's labeled as it's, you know, action or sci-fi, but it is very much this this dark comedy because there is just so much subtle like like very low Absolutely. frequency humor and, and 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 that comedy was all put in there by Paul Verhoeven. The, the script itself wasn't really that good, but what made it great was Paul Verhoeven. Him injecting that humor and him making us care about the the moments mm-hmm. uh, that's a really a triumph of direction if you want to know the truth and to tell you the truth i only in many ways robocop was as big a boon to my career as as uh, as deliverance was originally because after i played deliverance mm-hmm. uh, the, the drew was the mr sweetheart nice boy scout nice guy and right. i got labeled as being uh uh, a sensitive and playing sensitive in especially in those days out here was the equivalent of being weak yeah, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you were if you played a sensitive character that somehow got equated with and, and so I got known as being a soft actor so if, if, if any role had any guts or balls to it I sort of didn't get it because because I was this sweet nice next door delivery guy and and so I jumped at the chance to play Dick Jones because it gave me a chance to, to and, and I, here's a, the, the, also the genius of Paul Verhoeven in that, in that he wanted me to play Dick Jones too because he wanted, he wanted to trade on the residual goodwill that, that when my character comes on screen, I've got 10, 15 years of playing these nice guys. So, you, so you're all prepared to, to say, hey, this is a good guy. This is a, and then when, when Dick Jones is bad, yeah. then, then it takes a really dark turn. And someone once said, as one of my favorite compliments, they said, Ronnie, having you play Dick Jones is a little like an astronaut that's gone bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a very grim uh, way to put that. I mean, and yeah, you you totally get that from. I mean, the the first scene where you're just 
you're given that death glare to Bob Morton, so... Um, yeah, and poor Miguel. You, you know, Miguel, he didn't... He absolutely, adamantly did not want me to grab his hair. Really? It, 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 yes, and, and I had to talk him into it. I, I, I mean, because I want, I want... And he said, oh, no, 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 he said... I don't know. I don't know what I'll do if you if you do that. I said, oh. Miguel, you're an actor. I'm an actor. You do what you want. Do what you do. And and and, and let's go. And 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 to, to Miguel's uh, everlasting uh, uh, glory, he he realized after the fact that it was exactly the right thing to do, and, wow. and it was good for both our characters. But 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 Miguel really didn't want me to do that and and i'll tell you something else about that particular scene you know robocop was a, a fairly low budget film in, in those days yeah. and 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 they almost pulled the plug on it several times and two or three times they went to paul and 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 john davidson the, the producer and said cut together your uh, a scene so that we can show to investors and they cut that scene together I mean, it is one of the best scenes in the entire movie. And I think that's that's something that's really powerful about RoboCop is that, like, it's an action movie, but, like, the the scenes that are not action-based are some of the strongest, if not the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the brilliance of Paul Verhoeven. I mean, and, and, you know, and I'm sure you've heard all the stories about his volatility, and, and and he is a really volatile guy, although I have to admit that in all the two films that I worked with him on, I never ever I I, mean, I don't know if he uh, uh, I don't know if he just sort of I don't know why, but but he uh, I he, he never ever we never had even the, the slightest crossword. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's I mean obviously it's important for anyone working with anyone in any field but definitely when 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 you're an actor and it, it's very healthy to have that close working relationship yeah with but the i've director. seen him blow up i've seen him blow up and, 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 and it doesn't matter how, how big the star is either I, i've seen him go through the roof uh, i mean he he's really one of the most volatile directors i've ever worked with uh but uh, but uh, I think another reason why Paul and I hit it off so well, I don't know if you know this about Paul, but, but Paul has a Ph.D. in chemistry, too. So, oh, wow. so, so Paul and my wife, Mary, they were both Ph.D. chemists, and uh, so they <laughs> hit it off, too. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, I mean, so did it feel like you were ever on edge or were, like, the other actors on edge on you know, making RoboCop or, you know, Total Recall? What do you mean? Like, uh, because, like, just with, with Paul being, uh, you know, volatile. Uh, just just knowing that Paul uh, could be volatile from, from time to time, I mean... Oh, hell, sometimes he would blow up and, and just disappear. Sometimes when things weren't going right, he would just... I, I mean, I remember one day that... I, I I thought I was in real trouble because because uh, I had shot I had shot for like three or four days before 
before we really started, the, I, I, I shot all those scenes in Total Recall. Mm-hmm. If you remember the, the ones where Cohagen is talking to, to his people uh, 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 over the television. Yeah, stuff. yep. I, there, there are like two or three or four of those little scenes where he's addressing people. And and I, I went down to Mexico and, and we shot those scenes a week or so before uh, the principal photography started. Mm-hmm. And I came back to L.A. and, and I went to Rob Bottin's uh, makeup place. And, and uh, you know who he is, right? Um, Rob, Bot- Rob Bottin is the guy that did all the special effects makeup. I mean, he's, yep. he's a genius. Oh, wow. The, the three breasts, uh, you know, all of that stuff. That That's all Rob Bottin. And, he, he's, and Rob Bottin, I'm sure you've heard of people that have a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. Rob Bottin has photographic memory with his hands. He can sit and look at you and take a pen and paper and draw a photographic likeness of you. Or, or he can take clay and mold a, 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 an absolute likeness of you. So Arnold and I had to have a whole bunch of masks and mm-hmm. For the the scene at the end, where where our faces are are, are, are being distorted, uh-huh. and the way he could do it, he could make all these masks. We spent one whole day making every kind of distorted face that we could, and they made <laughs> they made replicas of that. And then and then Rob could take those masks, and and by putting uh. Uh, air pockets under he could pump air and even in, make whatever face we were making make that even more grotesque that is absolutely amazing all that's in my yeah. mind all that's in my mind right now is uh when like your face is ballooned by like three times the size your eyes are bulging out and exactly and see he could do that because he started from from absolute life masks that with us making faces, but even taking those faces and then just exaggerate those expressions so they were always more or less realistic. Gosh. And, and so I, Arnold and I, first of all, our, our faces were were sore the next day from <laughs> making our muscles go in all those different ways. Mm-hmm. But he made all those masks of us. And, and, and when, we're, when we're down there making it and they were putting his stuff uh, it, it, it was it was uh, uh, amazing so so and to do that they had to to, to when they're making those masks we spent a whole day in the chair with them putting things on the only thing you can breathe through is a couple of straws so you know they're very claustrophobic oh good lord <laughs> yeah and, and but then they had these masks on me they had to slick my hair back and and as it turns out I, I saw the pictures of that with me with that hair slicked back like that and mm-hmm. realized that that's how Cohagen should look because I had already but I had already shot like three or four scenes with my hair just regular uh-huh. oh. and, and so now I had to go back 
to, to Mexico and I confront Paul. And, and I went and I said, Paul, you're going to be mad at me, but I want you to see this. And I showed him the pictures of me with my hair all slicked back like like Cohagen looks. Uh-huh. And and he looked at me for a long minute and he said, he said I'm really pissed at you, Ronnie. And I said, why? He said, because I have to shoot those scenes again. <laughs> oh, man. So he got it right away. And uh, and that really was the look uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that I think sort of made Cohagen was what's what my Mary used to call the lizard king look (laughs) (laughs) man so I you know I really hearing stories about them with like the prop making and just like how impressive that is I really wish films did that now because that's like one thing that I've always been impressed with with movies like Total Recall and, and Rob Bottin, I, I don't know if you know him, he, Rob Bottin, he, he has this, he, he was discovered when he was like 18 or 19 years old. He became like the, the top special effects makeup guy in all of health. And he grew up in, in, in like Riverside, someplace out there, and, and, uh, in, in, in the barrio, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so what he did, he, you go to his shop, you go out to his shop, and, and all the guys he grew up with and went to school with, he taught them all how. And so he has a whole cottage industry of all the guys that he grew up with. Wow. I mean, it's, it's the most amazing thing that, 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 that here's, he's, he's, he's a, a real hero, Rob Bottin, as well as being a genius. And, and that's what's so cool about, about, about that time of movies is that I feel like the makeup effects guys were as much the stars of the movies as what the, yeah, the stars yeah, were. Which, in a way, it was kind of funny. The, the, the guy that did the, the, the makeup on Deliverance, Mike Hancock was in. He's now Morgan Freeman's makeup guy. But 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 Mike got all kinds of uh, uh, notices for doing my arm in, in mm-hmm. Deliverance. Oh, and wow. he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, well. That's just my arm. That's just I could do that. My my shoulder comes out of place, and so he didn't really have to do anything. And so people would come to him after that. And he's got all kinds of jobs. And they would ask him how, how he did that. He said, "Ah, trade secret." I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, uh, going back to RoboCop, I. Because you said a lot of that was Paul making RoboCop, RoboCop. Was there any? Was there like any moment in that where you're like, "This is really coming together"? Was there any moment that you're like, "Oh God, what what am I what am I doing here?" Like, was there any like, just like any 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 scene that you or any time that you could think of where it was like, "This this seems to be coming together," or like, "This is falling apart." No, neither of us. You're just there doing the way we, we're all doing the good work, and 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 we shot it in Dallas, as you know. Yep. Yep. And and and, and it was uh, everybody was doing their work, and and uh, I mean, I felt sorry for the poor guy that played Kenny, who who, who I, I mean, and and that's the other thing. The Paul, he was. The, 
could be accused of anything. It, it, when, when you got shot with squibs or something like that, oh, yeah. he, he made sure that they were overloaded. Uh, and, and, and so the day that they shot me out of the thing, I, I, there was, they were loaded up with stuff front and back on me. And it literally was, was such a shock to my system that, that I almost passed out and, and I threw up for like an, an hour. Oh, my Holy God. Wow. Yeah, it was it, just just because it, it just uh, because <laughs> uh, see that's the other thing about Paul. Paul grew up in war torn, uh, 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 I guess Belgium. Uh, anyway, he grew up seeing real, <laughs> real war, <laughs> and, right. and, and so so, and that was the other thing about RoboCop is that is you know it. it he had to fight with the censors a lot because it to keep it from getting an X rating. Yeah. And and in many ways, the censors I think made it into a more uh, disturbingly violent film than 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 it would have been if they had left Paul alone. Because see, here's the thing that since Paul Paul wanted this, the, the 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 movie, he wanted the violence to be way over the top so that so that like in the first two or three times you see this violence you say oh this is a joke it's so over the top and 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 and, and then then you could just accept that this was uh, you know that this was really over the top well the censors kept cutting back and cutting back and cutting back so, so that it really got to the age so it really got known as a really violent film and i th- i think because they cut so much stuff back, and less is more. Yeah. yeah. Then it became more realistic. Yeah. They cut enough back so that it was absolutely realistic. Whereas before, yeah. it was just it was so it was laughable. It was like a comic book over the top. And uh, I mean, I will say that that movie does a solid job at setting the tone on the violence within. The first ten minutes, and that's just with the Ed two hundred nine scene. Like it, I mean, just just the loudness of the gunshots and the visceralness of Kenny being blown away, and yeah, then and and then and then how you and Dan O'Hurley just you know you just kind of talk about it like a like a computer fright or something. Yep. And it's just you're just so nonchalant. You're like, oh my god, this is this is sick in many different ways. Listen, guys, I hate to cut this short, but that was my son, and, and, and I've been invited over to the house to have dinner with those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. Well, I hope, you, I hope you have a nice dinner, and um, it was really great talking with you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> you just listened to our interview with Ronnie Cox. It was... An incredible time to be able to talk with someone who was such an integral part of a movie that both Matt and I had been watching since we were four, five, which really was probably not the best age to be watching a movie where people are getting their hands shot off and getting shot in the head and the dick. But nonetheless, it's an important movie in the action genre, and we are just really glad that we were able to talk with someone who was there for the making of it to tell us the creative process with Paul Verhoeven behind making that movie truly what it was. 
Tune in next week where we talk with someone from a certain cult classic animated series from the 90s. It's not Batman the Animated Series, but when you see the name of the show, you're going to know. And we're really looking forward to sharing this one with you because this is going to lead into uh, other interviews that are also related to this show. Till then, I'm Richie Watkins, and Matt Kohler and I had the pleasure of bringing you another episode of Action Gems, where we find them and you watch them. See ya.